Smith will keep it. He dies for the end zone. He's got a touchdown. Kansas City in one of the greatest comebacks in Chiefs kingdom history. It's time. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Car out of the shotgun. Looks left. Throws a lob for Michael Crabtree. Caught it. He caught it. He caught it. The Raiders have the lead. 35-34. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Sweet revenge for Michael Crabtree. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. I needed that. Starting to feel like football now. Hey, that was a good start. Hey, that was a good start. We're going to finish for you, all right? The doctor is now in. And a good Monday to you. I will apologize in advance for my voice that has pretty much been gone for the last three or four days after a very, very busy week, as we know, that took place last week. Going back to last weekend when the Raiders got the victory against the Chargers and then everything that we did last week. And uh, another wild card, busy weekend. But the show must go on. And here we go on a Monday. So, Numchuck, if my voice gives out, that means you're next up, plain and simple. <laughs> so luckily, we've got a jam-packed show today worth of guests, so they can uh, cover for my uh, lack of voice. So again, apologize in advance. But uh, feeling good, feeling fine on this Monday. And unfortunately for Raider fans, the season comes to an end for the Raiders as they lose to the Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Wild Card weekend. We've got highlights, we've got sound, we've got audio for you, and we've got plenty of guests today on the show. Heidi Fang will join us, our dedicated uh, Raiders reporter with the Las Vegas Review Journal and Raider Nation Radio as well, also regular on this show. Heidi just leaving the facility right now as uh, Rich Basaccia uh, talked with his season-ending press conference and where the Raiders go from here right now. Uh, exit meetings um, took place uh, earlier today. Player evaluations take place in the next couple days. Um, players heading off to the offseason. Coaches taking two weeks off starting on Thursday. They'll still be in the building for the next couple days. And then, here we go. In a very transient year that it's been for the Las Vegas Raiders, the offseason starts. And that brings up so many questions on what is next for the Raiders. What is Mark Davis going to do? Is Mark Davis going to go full-blown search for the next coach? Is he going to dip into the hot coordinator that may be available, um, who may even may not be available at this point in time with teams in the playoffs? Or are you going to go looking for a college coach? We know there's a lot of rumors out there right now, including Jim Harbaugh, uh, but right now, what Mark Davis has told uh, Rich Passaccia is, keep doing your thing. We will continue to talk. They had a detailed conversation yesterday. They uh, will have another conversation tomorrow. But uh, no one really knows which direction the Raiders are going to go right now. So that is going to be a big uh, point of emphasis and concern for Raider fans. Because when you look at the way this season transpired. I think that everybody, including probably Mark Davis, thought that, okay, Rich Passaccia is there to get us through. 
not knowing how he was going to handle it or whatever. It was a band-aid. It was a stopgap. And again, I mean, he was, you know, after what happened with John Gruden, you got to give the, uh, you know, the car keys to Rich Passaccia. And, hey, you got to meet with your team, have a team meeting, have a press conference, you know, later in the day. Uh, let's roll with it. But there's been some very encouraging signs on the way this team has handled itself, the way they made it to the playoffs, winning four straight regular season games, and the way they played in the game on Saturday against the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals win 26-19, but the Raiders' season is over. A gallant effort by the Raiders, but again, the reason why they lost the game, too many mistakes, too many penalties, not enough clutch plays. All right, like I said, Heidi Fang will join us uh, a little bit later on this hour. Trevor Maddich will join us. We'll not only talk Raiders with Trev, we'll get his objective look uh, from the outside, looking at it from a national perspective. Of course, Trevor, the 15-time Emmy Award winner, regular on our show, uh, college football with ESPN, but also covers the NFL as well, too. Uh, he will join us next hour, and Chuck Esposito joins us from Red Rock Casino, the... Uh, director of all race and sports for the Station Casino Properties, and Chuck back to join us on Monday afternoons. So, uh, jam-packed show coming your way. Let's talk about the game. Let's talk about the highlights and the Raiders and the Bengals. Uh, a sad ending, but can't say that it was uh, an unexpected one. We knew that Joe Burrow and the offense that Cincinnati has with Joe Mixon at the running back and and, of course, Jamar Chase uh, at the wide receiver position. The Bengals were going to be able to move the ball against this Raiders offense. Give the Raiders some credit. They held the Bengals to field goals instead of touchdowns, which kept the Raiders in the game. But the big concern was, how are you going to slow this offense down if you're the Raiders' defense? And they didn't. The Bengals punted two times. Now, to be fair, the Raiders only punted two times, too. But the Bengals put... Long drive after long drive together, and you could just see that the Raiders' defense wasn't stopping the Bengals. The only way that the Bengals were going to lose this game, if they stopped themselves and they turned the ball over, guess what? Cincinnati had no turnovers in this game. They played a near-perfect football game. Maybe not even near. Just say they played a perfect football game, and that's why they won the game. The Raiders made the mistakes. All right, you had a fumble, interception, you had two turnovers there, and then you had some other just you know mind-boggling penalties. Raiders fighting the play clock again, just a lot of the same things over and over. And then again, bigger picture, I know Mark Davis is going to look at that and look at what transpired with this during the course of the season. Too many penalties, the fighting the play clock to get things off, especially in a playoff game, you know. It's that's the thing you got to look at. Okay, is do I have the right coaching staff in place here to move forward and not have these mistakes happen over and over again? Because that really has been the scenario with this franchise going back to its days in Oakland. Too many penalties and too many uh, questionable calls, uh, you know, on the offensive side of the ball. But a gallant effort, like I said, by the Raiders, but. It comes up a little bit short. All right, let's take you to the highlights. Raiders take the opening drive on Saturday. They move it right down the field. Ten-play drive started off very, very impressive. And, 
you know, the Raiders get out to a 3 nothing lead with a Daniel Carlson 47-yard field goal. Bengals answer with their own 10-play drive. The difference was Cincinnati got into the end zone. Zach Taylor switched running back. Samaje P. Ryan in. Third and goal from Burrow. He throws it to the end zone. Touchdown! Burrow with a quick strike. And C.J. Uzama gives you a Nicky shuffle as the Bengals take the lead. Burrow to Uzama with the touchdown. Uzama had a big game, and he's been playing big for uh, the Bengals uh, as well, too. And 7-3. So right then and there, you saw that the Bengals put that long drive together, and it could be a long day for the Raiders. Big turning point here was Carr gets stripped, sacked, and fumbles the ball. Cincinnati is now in prime location to stretch out its lead. Third and eight. Blitz comes from the Bengals. And hit from behind. The ball is loose. It's picked up by Ogunjobi. Larry Ogunjobi at the 15-yard line. Hendrickson forced it with a pressure off the edge. Ogunjobi scooped it. And the Bengals are in great position. And the Raiders looked like they were starting to move the ball. And that happened about the 35-yard line. And uh, again... Obanjobi uh, returned it to the 15-yard line, setting the Bengals up in another fantastic position. Luckily, the Raiders hold them to a short field goal and made it 10-3. to But then, more problems on the horizon on the ensuing kickoff. Today it was 31 degrees, all the talk of the 31-year drought. It's a bad kickoff by McPherson that was grabbed. Did he grab it with a foot out of bounds? No. He grabbed it before he put a foot out of bounds, and that's a big mistake there by Peyton Barber. Peyton Barber fields the kickoff at the two-yard line and looked like the ball was going to go out of bounds, which would have been great because then the Raiders would have got the ball at the 35-yard line. And instead, no, Uh, Barber picks it up, goes out of bounds, and now the Raiders are set back at their own two-yard line. Already trailing 10-3, Raiders in a hole. They commit a penalty. Raiders now have it on a third and four from their own eight-yard line, and then this happens. Again, the Bengals bring pressure. Carr in trouble. He's sacked. Won't be a safety. They'll mark him just outside at the half-yard line. But the pressure from Sam Hubbard, the Cincinnati native. All right, a near safety on that play as Carr is sacked and uh, just barely got out of the end zone. Uh, the Bengals now have a chance to put this game away early because they get great field position after the Raider punt. They drive down to the Raiders' four-yard line, but on third and goal, big sack by Quentin Jefferson for the Raiders, and Cincinnati again has to settle for a field goal, and it's 13-3. Think about this. The Bengals had two golden opportunities and this thing very easily could have been out of reach at this point in time. Uh, the Bengals could have been up more than than just the 10 points. It could have been 17. It could have been 14 points at this time. Raiders come back. They get a field goal to make it 13-6. to And then we get all kinds of fireworks in the last two minutes of the first half. Cincinnati puts together a 12-play drive. They cap it off with a 10-yard touchdown pass from Joe Burrow to Tyler Boyd. Five in the pattern. Burrow tries to keep it alive. Scrambles. Throws it back in the end zone. But was he out of bounds first or is it a touchdown? I think he was out of bounds. They're discussing it. Caught in the back by Boyd. Conversation on the sideline here for the moment. No signal yet. Jerome Boger, the referee, is over here on the sideline. 
As they are in conversation, was he out when he threw? The result of the play, touchdown. Touchdown! To celebrate in any case. Let's see. Yep, that's fine. He's hanging in the air. What a job by Burrow to keep that alive. Okay, so this was the big controversy that ensued after the side judge blew the whistle thinking that Burrow was out of bounds. You saw Burrow rolling to the right and looked like he was either going to go out of bounds or just fling it in the end zone. It was clear that his foot was in bounds. The other foot was up in the air, and he threw it, released it, and Boyd got behind the Raiders' secondary for an easy touchdown. Now, I know a lot of Raiders are complaining today, and they did yesterday as well, too, about the whistle blowing. If you watch this, and again, you listen when we just played it, you heard the whistle, you heard the catch. It was pretty close to bang-bang. And when I say whistle, touchdown catch, I'm talking about a second, a second and a half. This wasn't a three- or a four-second gap where the Raiders quit on the play. Let's be clear here. That touchdown had nothing to do with the whistle. Plain and simple. The Raiders didn't give up on the play. If you're watching it, Boyd was open. He got himself free behind the secondary, and he was going from the right corner of the end zone, going towards the goalpost on the back end line. And this happens a lot with a lot of defensive backs and linebackers in the end zone that they're playing basically at the front of the goal line or the middle of the end zone. And Boyd got behind. And so even though the whistle blew, granted, it was wrong, it had nothing to do with the Raiders giving up on the play and giving Cincinnati an easy touchdown. Now, the rule states, and it's clear here, and this is where Jerome Boger and his crew mishandled this big time, is that when you have an inadvertent whistle, which this was, or an official thinking that that he stepped out of bounds, same thing, that the play is nullified and you replay it. You replay third and four from the 10-yard line again. We don't know what had happened on third and four. We don't know if the Bengals get a first down, get a touchdown. Maybe they turn it over. We don't know. But this was an errant call. It was such an errant call that the NFL came down with a statement yesterday morning that said this crew will no longer work the rest of the playoffs. And Jerome Bogar was talking. Uh, they were talking about maybe Jerome Bogar refereeing the Super Bowl. He's done. He's done. This entire crew is done. And just to clarify for a lot of fans that may not be aware of this, during the playoffs, these are all-star crews. These are not the same crews. And it seems like every playoff time we have this conversation where – People are complaining about the officials. It's taking them longer to conference. And, and of course, especially this year, with more opportunity with replay and more cameras involved, you're going to have more and more delays. Every one of these games was nearly four hours long this weekend. And we had several blowouts. But why? Because there were so many conferences between these officials. Now, with Jerome Bogar's crew, his regular season crew, he had three guys that were, were, were part of his crew, two others besides himself. And then the others were not. All right, and uh, the guy, the side judge, who, who the introvert whistle was not on his regular season crew. So there is a little disconnect here, and you have a feeling for when you work with each other, you know, for an entire season, 
or, you know, several seasons together. But, so that's your controversy. That was crazy. But there's, they should have done something about it, but they didn't. The good news is that this was in the second quarter and the Raiders had plenty of ample opportunity to come back. As a matter of fact, they had an opportunity right after this. In the final two minutes, the Raiders came back and got a touchdown themselves. And he throws there to Zay Jones, who comes down with it for a touchdown. A huge play for the Raiders as Zay Jones was in coverage. Yep, that was the Raiders responding big time with an 11-play drive right before halftime. So the Raiders go you know, down 20-6 to to get that touchdown, which they desperately needed to cut it to 20-13. to The 14-yard touchdown pass from Derek Carr to Zay Jones. And now all of a sudden you're feeling pretty good if you're a Raider fan. You say, you know what, we're only down seven here in Cincinnati having to settle for those field goals instead of touchdowns, it gave the Raiders some life. We go to the third quarter. Cincinnati adds another field goal to make it 23-13. to Good job for the Raiders, holding them only three again. Fourth quarter comes along, and, Der- and, uh, and Carlson kicks a 34-yarder to cut the lead back to seven at 23-16. Now, with 6.49 to go, Cincinnati has a chance to put this game away with another long drive, and this one, it halts at the Raiders' 10-yard line. But it did not need to halt there. The Bengals are up with fourth and inches, milking the clock, putting this drive together, which was phenomenal. They elect to kick a field goal instead of going for it on fourth and inches. If they do that, they kill more clock. They maybe get in the end zone. They score a touchdown. They make it a 14-point lead, and this game's over. Plain and simple. Instead, force a field goal. They elect to go to the field goal, I should say. And now the lead is back to 10 at 26-16. Much better for the Raiders to need a touchdown and a field goal with six minutes to go than needing two touchdowns. So now the Raiders have their chance. They put together an impressive drive, but they can only muster a field goal. Now they're back down seven again, 26-19, you know, with uh, four minutes to go in the game. Cincinnati delivers a three and out. Raiders force a punt. The Raiders have a chance to tie this game with two minutes to go. They take over at their own 35. They move it into Cincinnati territory. And then on a third and 17, this turned out to be a huge play, especially on this drive from the Cincinnati 42. Again, the four-man rush in the middle. Waller, he grabbed it. What a catch by Waller. Carr completes a huge pass to Darren Waller on this third and 17, and the Raiders are knocking on the door in Cincinnati territory. Now they have it at the 19-yard line. Raiders are now facing another big call on third and 10, and Derek Carr comes through again. Third and 10. Carr protected. Fires complete. Zay Jones got the first down at the nine. We'll see if they go clock it or they run a play. Well, there it is. Okay, so first of all, Carr to Zay Jones, down to the nine-yard lines. The Raiders have no timeouts left. The clock is ticking. There's 30 seconds to go, and this is another controversial uh, play by the Raiders. With the ball at the nine-yard line, Carr spikes it. Questionable decision? Yes, because now the, the Raiders lose a down, and you would think that you would have a play call. You know during this entire drive you have no timeouts left. They're all gone. You spent them. So you're moving the ball down the field. You're now knocking in, in into Bengals territory here, and now you're inside the 10-yard line. 
Bengals are shaking. Fans are shaking. And the Raiders got all the momentum in the world. And Derek Carr just gave away a down. So now they face second down, incomplete pass. Third down, incomplete pass. And now it's fourth and goal from the nine-yard line, season on the line. The season comes down to this. It is Carr end zone. Intercepted. Jermaine Pratt has it. And for the first time in 31 years, Cincinnati, your Bengals have won a playoff game. <laughs> first time in 31 years, the Bengals win a playoff game. Their fans pretty happy about that. Raider Nation, very, very sad. Carr, what can you say? I mean, he throws into triple coverage, and the ball is picked off by the linebacker who is in front of the receiver. Uh, There are two guys behind the receiver. If he catches that ball, it looks like it's short of the goal line anyway. But at that point in time, Carr did what he had to do under pressure, and there it is. Game over. Like I said, gallant effort, but the Raiders lose the game. Let's hear from Rich Passaccia, Derek Carr, hear their thoughts, not only about that play, that game, but the season. Let's start with the head coach right after the game. First and foremost, uh, you know, congratulations to, to Zach and, and uh, his team today. Um, he's done a tremendous job um, with his team over the last two years, put themselves in this position. And, um, you know, as far as our team is concerned, I, I just felt like it was a, it's a group of men that really learned how to care for one another really learned how to compete with relentless effort to the bitter end, um, day in and day out, improved um, not only as players but as men. And we just uh, ran out of time today. We did some uncharacteristic things with um, some penalties and uh, gave up some drives and didn't capitalize when we had it in the red zone at times. And and, um, so just didn't go our way today, but um, can't say enough about uh, the men in that locker room, our, our team, and, and the way in which they learned to compete, the way in which they came to work every day, uh, the way in which they expressed um, their admiration for each other. I think you can see it uh, in the play in which they put on the field. All right, Rich Passaccia, thoughts immediately after the game. Here is him talking about the final drive and the confidence they had that they were going to get in the end zone and tie this thing up. Those guys in there did a great job of, to some degree, changing the culture or putting the culture on a on – a, um, a winning track, a winning mentality, a, a um, respectable um, path, I'd like to think. And, and they're responsible for it. The way in which they came to work, like I said, the way in which they improved, and the way in which they competed. You know, we, we've been in this situation a bunch. I think we all felt like on the sideline we are getting ready to go down there and score and go to overtime and, you know, have a chance to win it. So, again, credit to them. All right, Rich Passaccia on the final drive. Now, obviously the questions come regarding his job future and you know Pisaccia, he's all about the players, but uh, he had to answer the question. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking about those guys in that locker room that um, played a game and put their heart and soul out there like that and had a chance to win at the end, and, and we did. All right, final thing from Rich Pisaccia. Obviously, the officials that were under question uh, asked about what happened there at the in the second quarter, at the uh, right before halftime with the inadvertent whistle. Here's Rich Pisaccia about the officials. I think that's a good crew. I think there's a lot of things that went on in the game, right, both ways. A lot of things went both ways. They picked the, the one up on the, the one deal over there, and the ball came back. And so uh, I have no, I got enough problems with my job. I can't do the officiating, too. <laughs> okay, Rich Passaccia handling it uh, like a true pro, like he has all season long. 
Derek Carr. All right. You can say that Carr made some mistakes in this game. The strip sack fumble, uh, getting sacked uh, for a near safety, uh, giving uh, leading to those points. And again, you know, maybe the Raiders aren't in that position at the end by trailing only a touchdown. But uh, here's Derek Carr talking about the criticism of the mistakes. I can absolutely see it. You know, um, I don't think penalties helped um, on some of them. Uh, but talking about the red zone and all that, like everything is just frustrating right now. You know, I didn't expect it to go this way. I didn't feel like it was going to go this way all during the game at any point. Um, all the way up until the last, you know, once a couple seconds. So. Uh, everything just pretty frustrating when you look at, especially that. All right, Carr showed up at the press conference in his pads, which was kind of uh, unusual looking. Um, haven't seen him do that before, but uh, uh, you know, just just Derek Carr speaking his mind, but a little unusual look uh, with the pads and still in a full uniform. Here's Carr talking about the mindset uh, that he had and the team had as they got the ball back on that final drive after Cincinnati went three and out, and the Raiders had to go 65 yards to get the game-tying touchdown. Absolutely. Just like I always do. And um, everyone on the sidelines like, oh, we're going to score. you know. And we believed it. We went down there. It just sucks when you get in that situation. You, I mean, you just got to throw the ball. You got to try and you know, throw it into the end zone and try and get some hands on it. You know they're going to get close or – you know, the play before that, I threw the inside route to Zay, or two plays before. There's three bodies in there. It's just at that time, you've got to get the ball in the end zone. And it sucks that it comes down to something like that. You know, I wish I wish it didn't. I wish we would execute a little bit better earlier on so it didn't come down to that. But going down the field, we have full confidence. I, I looked at Andre. I said, pick him up, and we'll win the game. He looked at me and said, shred him. <laughs> you know, like, that's usually what goes on. And uh, we went down the field, got the passer, or the uh, rough in the passer. Uh, off, the check, off the check down to Josh, they didn't cover, and uh, we were able to hit hit some some big pass plays on that drive, and uh, keep the ball moving down there. But the message, I mean, you're always going to give it a chance. You know, the thing that I love about this team is there was never a doubt of the fight or the doubt of are we going to do this or anything like that. You know, there wasn't any doubt. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect every time. You know, and it sucks to come up short like this. But uh, at the end of the day. There was never a doubt um, from anyone on that sideline that we were going to go and try and win that game. All right, Derek Carr uh, talking about the, the mindset there in the final drive. It comes down to the final play, though. Here's Carr talking about the final play. And remember, earlier on, decided to spike the ball. There was some communication there between him, or lack of communication between him, whether it was Greg Olson or Rich Passaccia, whether he should spike or not. Uh, we've heard some talk that uh, they were supposed to go to Waller on a fade route instead, but Carr decided to spike it. it. Only gave the Raiders, you know, again, three opportunities instead of four opportunities. But here's Carr talking about the final play. The hook player was, you know, right there near the hash. And, I mean, it's a swirl route, so he's coming back in. It's going to be a tight, I mean, it's going to be hands everywhere, you know. And uh, I just tried to throw it hard to where the guy wouldn't catch it. He made a great catch, but it's. Uh, Sucks, man. Just trying to throw it away from the safe, move the safety, and give Zay a chance to win the game. And uh, he ran, you know, he did his best, ran a great route. And, but I can't not say 50, 57 made a great play. I mean, he great, made a great catch. All right, uh, Carr talking about the final play and the interception by the Bengals to to seal the game as the Bengals move on in the playoffs and the Raiders season is over. Speaking of that, here's Derek Carr talking about what the locker room was like after the game. It's unbelievable. It's hard to explain. There was this feeling of, of yeah, we're upset, 
um, there's a feeling of, but we can really do this. Like, we're thinking about how many games away. You know, you're like, we can really play in the teams that we beat to get here, you know. Uh, and what everybody thought about our team, and we said, you know what, no, we're, we're something else, you know. Um, there's, a, there's mixed feelings. Um, a lot of hugs. Appreciate Yannick, what he said to me. Um, you know, Max, all the guys. I mean, just, just what, what the brotherhood is just different, you know. And that's why I, I kept saying it would be nice to go on a run with this team. Is, is were we the most talented team in the world? No, probably not, you know. Uh, but this is the closest, best team I've ever been on, you know. And I, I have a lot of best friends that are on other te- that were on other teams. But as a whole, I've never seen a team like this. And so um, it's, you know, hey, I got your back. Let's move on. Uh, kind of similar to how we would come in every Monday, whether we won or lost. It was, hey, who cares next? If we won, great. Who cares next? We lost, care a little bit more <laughs> because it's over, but next. And this continually growth. Um, a lot of guys you see get to this point and then they just fall off. You know, the work stops. It was so so much work and you fall short. It's either going to push you or drive you the other way, and I think it's going to push this group. All right, uh, there is Derek Carr speaking uh, after the game. Uh, more from Carr talking about moving forward and the future on what this team will look like. Yeah, I've been in this situation before. Um, and after the 2016 season, especially because I broke my ankle, you know, there was like so much like, oh, we're going to do everything now, you know. And that's fine. Um, but I think we came back a little arrogant. I think we came back a little pompous. And uh, we didn't work the same, you know. And uh, we arguably had a more talented team. And so the, the drive now is to, is to make sure that that doesn't happen. Because I've experienced that. And to make sure that doesn't happen so we do keep going forward. Now that we've experienced this, you get out there and play, you're like, oh, my gosh, this is not different. Like, you, you know, you don't know until you play it, you know, in playoff game. But you get out there and you're like, oh, yeah, we can do this. And so you get a taste of it. And it, I don't know, it did something to my heart, man. I thought I was on fire, but it made me even more just, I just can't not play in the playoffs. You know, you know what I mean? Uh, so we'll make sure that we keep our head on straight. Um, a lot of accolades for a lot of guys this year. And. You know, a lot of people are going to pat us, pat us on the back and all that kind of stuff. I uh, hopefully, hopefully, we just keep that edge to us. You know, um, because I, I think that's the difference in this team uh, than in the past teams I've been on is that we have an edge to us and a belief in us that we really can do anything. But the Bengals beat us today, and we came up short today. All right, uh, Carr talking about the future of the team, talking about the personnel, but probably the biggest question mark now is the future of head coach Rich Passaccia. Here's Carr talking about his thoughts. I think we can all think that he's the right guy. I've, I've never seen someone with the ear of the locker room, not just one player, not just one side, but everybody, you know. Um, he's proven, um, you know, that he, he people listen to him. And not just people, but our team listens to him. Uh, you know, and I, I love him so much. I'm thankful for him. Um, all of those things will be decisions that I don't I don't make I don't get to make you know I just play quarterback and uh, do my best to complete every pass um, but I think that with everything that went on if you really look at what happened all all the pieces missing um, everything that changed everything yeah he held it together you know you know we, we, we lose two linemen boom like that you, know, you lose 
your starting receiver. You lose your number one target. You lose Josh sometimes. You, you, Kenyon's gone. You, you go on and on and on and on. That's just offense, right? And the fact that that staff kept everything together and kept us competitive and kept us winning, finding ways to win football games, I think that's what our organization is about, right? Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, we know what we want to have happen. Um, you know, but again, you know, we're Raiders. You know, we're, we're going to play uh, football, uh, but we just hope it, you know, obviously we hope it's for somebody special. All right, Derek Carr, after the game on Saturday, and the Raiders lose to the Bengals. All right, so great sound there from the Raiders quarterback and also the Raiders interim head coach. And we know one thing. I mean, Rich Passaccia is going to have that interim tag taken off. Either he'll be the new head coach or he won't be the coach of the Raiders. So we'll have to wait and see. That's the next step. Like we said at the beginning here, he's going to meet with Mark Davis uh, again tomorrow, see what, uh, what goes on from there. But Mark Davis talked to him yesterday and said, keep doing what you're doing. Had the exit interviews earlier today. And uh, now we'll do the... Uh, the coaches will do their player evaluations, and then the, all the assistant coaches will will be on vacation for a couple weeks, uh, starting on Thursday. So, a lot to happen here in the coming weeks here as the off season unfortunately begins for the Las Vegas Raiders right now. When we come back, Heidi Fang will join us. Heidi uh, on the road with the Raiders in Cincinnati. And then uh, was at the facility today when uh, Rich Passaccia talked as well, too. We'll get Heidi's thoughts, that and a whole lot more. Plenty of more Raiders coverage today, as well as NFL playoffs with Trevor Maddich, Chuck Esposito later. T.C. Martin Show on this Manic Monday. Get wrecked with the Dr. T.C. Martin. All right, the offseason officially here. Now we start looking ahead on what is next for the Raiders. And uh, our girl, Heidi Fang, who's been covering this team uh, from uh, the beginning and uh, been on the road doing everything, it doesn't matter, from locker rooms to tailgate parties to people's kitchen, she's got it all. And she was at the Raiders facility uh, earlier today. Actually, she was on the, the press conference earlier with Rich uh, Basaccia. Heidi Fang, Las Vegas Review-Journal. Heidi Fang, Raider Nation Radio. Heidi Fang, T.C. Martin Show. What else did I forget? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I can't even think right now. My brain is just trying to wrap its head around everything that's happened this season to be ready for you here and this I show. And well, at least your voice is better than mine today, Heidi. So what is, I, you have yeah, to, what's you, going on? Oh, it's just, well, it's, you know, it's been kind of just a, a busy last couple weeks and uh, it finally catches up. So there you go. But, uh, mending better now than it was the last couple of days. So I'll say that. So I need you to carry this interview today, Heidi. Okay. So hopefully you got some, <laughs> hopefully you pull a Sam Gordon and give us some long winded answers. How's that? Yeah, I'll come call up and see what Sam can do for us. <sighs> All right, so uh, let's talk about Saturday's game. Um, your thoughts as you exited whatever they're calling Cincinnati's stadium nowadays uh, in the craziness, the uh, the what's the word I'm looking for? The exuberation from the Bengal fans, and then of course the sadness that the Raiders season comes to a crashing halt. Yeah, you know what's crazy? There's so many fans out there for the Bengals who had signs that said the curse is over, you know, relating to the Bo Jackson curse from back when. Um, but for the Raiders, it's it was deflating, I think. Uh, they've gone through all these last-minute miracle comeback games, 
And I think DC has 30 of them total on uh, under his belt right now. And you go through all of that and to have the end sequence there kind of go awry. I think there was a lot of play calling that could have been rethought. Um, particularly the spiking of the ball. That's a big point of contention right now with discussing things and and asking Bisaccia about it. And he said it was a poor communication between them. Communication issue was the exact phrase that he used. So he said there was a communication issue and that he would have rather ran a play. So I'm wondering what communication breakdown was and who it was with. Was it with your offensive coordinator? Was it with Carr on the field? Where was the miscommunication? That's what I'd like to know. I'd love to be a, a fly on the wall on the sideline. They don't let me on like in the sideline. I'm allowed there, but I can't get in there. So next time, I'd love to really get like sneak on by like a ninja, just kind of hear what's going on. But so Heidi, let me here and there anyway. Let, the place let, is going nuts. Right, not to interrupt you here, but since you're talking about that, I, I think from what we were hearing, or you know, rumor mill or whatever, was saying that. The the communication without Basachi really coming out and saying it was that yeah this was basically that Olson had made a call and uh-huh. that he wanted Waller in a fade route or whatever but Carr opted to spike the ball instead. Does that seem to make sense to you? Because it kind of does to me. Well, I can see where the breakdown happened. I don't know who with again. I don't. I I can see that you know if it was Ollie's call to uh, run a play, Carr should have just ran it. It's the kind of moments when, you know, you watch the uh, Bull Durham movie, you have to catch your Bull Durham, you know, and he's getting shook off by Nuke Lelouch, and you're like, no, Nuke, you know, don't shake me off. See what happens when you shake me off. Throw a fastball, here comes the heat. Boom, home run. Wait a minute, Heidi Fang is breaking down the Raiders' season, coming to an end in the final seconds of the game (laughs) to... A very mediocre movie in Durham, oh, North Carolina. It's a baseball classic. No, the bad Kevin news Kevin bears is a is a classic. Movie with Kevin Costner in it. This is true. Okay. Oh, that movie's amazing. I love that movie. It's of one of my all time favorites. I, know that. I watch religiously when baseball season starts because you have to. Yes, yeah. Because I mean, obviously, you know, you're gonna you're gonna have pitchers in the minor leagues that actually you know throw the ball you know 100 miles an hour. That's uh, uh, you know feet over the plate and up up to the backstop screen. Sure, that happens all the time. Exactly. Oh, yes, every movie's realistic. <laughs> hey, the Bad News Bears oh, was man. very realistic. Are you kidding me? Every team had a lupus on it, okay? Every team, you, know, you had a Kelly Leak who was smoking cigarettes at the age of 12 years old. I mean, that was the real deal, you know? You had, you know, uh, you know, guys trying to get chicks over at the arcade and playing the air hockey for tickets to the Rolling Stones. That happened, Heidi. That always happened. That was the real deal, my girl. Oh, yes. I can tell you smoked the cigarettes at age 12 the way you sound. <laughs> I know. Be, I mean, my nunchuck voice is coming. One. My nunchuck <laughs> voice is coming in today. Yeah. There you go. The Bad News Whoa. Bears is classic. But anyway, as we uh, digress. Yes. Okay. So so the fly on the wall. And I know you've, you've been a fly on that wall. Uh, it, the Raiders facility in sidelines uh, many, many times. But, yeah, what? so what was that like, uh, you know, being in, in the stadium there? Well, uh, you know, there were a lot of Raider fans, of course, you know, pining, pining uh, on what could happen for the season for them, you know, really wanting to get that 
get that W in uh, Cincinnati. There was a more Raider Nation out there uh, as they travel a lot. You know, it's really. Uh, I-, I was a little thinking like, well, they- I didn't think there were going to be that many um, fans out there from the Raiders, but they sure were. They always travel in numbers and droves, and they were sure they're out supporting the team. Um, the atmosphere was really, you know, kind of cold, but it didn't even affect any single one of those fans. Right. You talk to them and ask them what the weather is like. They're like, it was hot. <laughs> <laughs> we were all bundled close together. And we had a lot of fun out there. You know, like nobody cared. They they just wanted to see. Because for both teams, and you think about it, I think it was 95. Um, yeah, 95 for the Bengals. Or back in the 90s when they last won a playoff game. 2015. 2015 was the last time that they were in a playoff game. Mm-hmm. And then for the Raiders being 2016. So when you think about the droughts that these teams have had when it comes to getting, you know, into the postseason for football, it's pretty huge for them to be able to have that moment on both sides. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, looking over, you know, Zach Taylor's job with Joe Burrow and the way those guys operated, um, you could see the Raiders defense struggling at moments. But overall, overall, I think they held their own. I mean, you hold the Bengals the amount of points that they had in the game, it's, it's a win, you know. There were just too many mistakes. Like you can't uh, – Peyton Barber did stepping out on the two-yard line when that could have actually put them at the 40-yard line. It was a 38-yard mistake, you know, catching that ball. And it's just uh, – fundamentals right there should have told him to not catch that ball. Like, I don't know why he caught that ball. You know, leave it to Tyrone Johnson back there who's in, you know, position – and if he's going to wave it off, you don't go do anything with the ball. You don't. You just don't. And it, that was a horrendous mistake yep. by Peyton Barber. And just watching that at that moment, I was like two yards away from it. And I just shook my own head. And you see the reaction from Johnson when that happened. He knew, like, that, you know, obviously what his plan would have been would have been to let it go. Let it go out of bounds and you know, let the Raiders be up at the 40-yard line. That was such a huge mistake. And that kind of, I think, took the wind out of their sails. And it's just uh, early in the game for that kind of mistake, too. And those little things kept kept getting at him. And the, the penalty flags and then what happened with the whistle and the touchdown, it was just everything kind of just unraveled, I think, after that moment. Because the Raiders came out with a really good drive. I think the first opening drive was really well thought out and put together. Um, you knew they were going to be on a short week. A lot of guys were getting banged up in the game. You know, Divine Diablo got lost. Um, they had a couple others go out to injury. So, you know, when you you have that happen, the other guys had to pick up the slack. And it, it was uh, pretty much the mistakes were just too much for them to overcome. Yeah, the penalties again. I mean, you're talking about the team with the – the fewest penalties in the Bengals, and the Raiders were the third most in the league this year, and and it came Mm -hmm. back to haunt them again. And the play-calling issues have been a season-long problem, as we know. And then, you know, the thing that really stood out for me as well, too, is, you know, fighting the play clock once again. I mean, getting the plays in. I mean, it just happened throughout the game. It just wasn't, you know, early on in the game where maybe the crowd's affecting it, but it happened second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, especially down the stretch in the fourth quarter. And that cannot happen, especially with a veteran like Derek Carr. So that's where, you know, the... 
you know, when you hear about, okay, 30 seconds to go, is it going to be a spike or not? Just, you know, and they, and they just say, hey, there's uh, communication issues. You cannot have those kind of communication issues. I mean, you are... You practice these things. You've now played 16 regular season games. And for a guy like Carr who's been in the league for nine years, this stuff should not happen. And either, you know, he's got to take uh, control or he's got to tell his coaches, hey, I've got this or something. But I think that's where the communication issues are, are, are lying here. And uh, again, penalties, play calling, and then, you know, the, the slowness of getting the plays in, that, that is what costs the, the Raiders the game. Because when you look at, you talk about Zach Taylor and Cincinnati, Heidi, they played a clean game. No mm-hmm. mistakes whatsoever. They looked like the season team. They were the most disciplined team. That's why they won the football game. 100%. And then you also talk about it on top of the, um, on top of all of that, and you got all these red zone issues. Well, it's it been a consistent problem over the past couple of seasons. This isn't just something that happened in that game. That's something that we've been seeing with the, the I don't know what the breakdown is, what the communication issue is. Maybe it's something with the offensive coordinator. Maybe it's their car. There's, there needs to be a way for this team to figure out that issue and press forward. And you have to be able to convert in the red zone when you're down there. And they weren't doing it. They walked away one touchdown in the game, one. And it's it's a matter of figuring out what that issue is because you have the weapons there. You have a six foot six tight end who is one of the best in the league to throw to. I can't hear that anymore about there not being available targets for Carr when Josh Jacobs put in the effort that he did. When Darren Waller went in there, had seven catches and a pretty decent game. Sure, there were misses. There were balls that were, you know, off, whether it was the route, whether it was, um, you know, Derek overthrowing him, whether, you know, Waller was on a misread on the route and he should have been somewhere else. But when he has that ball thrown right to, you know, in an area where it's catchable, you know, about 85, 90% of the time he's coming down with that ball and you got to give him those 50-50 balls in the end zone if he's not double-covered. You also have Brian Edwards, who I don't know with him. I know earlier on there was some route running issues with him, but I feel like he was starting to come on. He had the four catches in the previous game and was their leading receiver. So there has to be a way to involve him as well. Or, you know, Foster Moreau got, I think, highly underutilized in the receiving department. Um, there's a lot of red zone targets that they have. They put out like a 13 personnel, three tight ends that you had dirt carrier back to be able to block on the line. If you want to run the other two out, there's a lot of options, a lot of crossing routes, some misdirection, you know, they were doing well in play action. I, I just, I don't understand when they get that momentum down, what the actual breakdown is, because it's, there's a lot of factors that could variable into it that I'm not 100% sure what's happening on headsets. And that's why I say I can't be exactly sure. From my point of view, it's that Derek Carr needs to be more aggressive and they should use the run a little bit more in there inside the, you know, 10 yard line when they get down there to try to, to try to push the defense and, and do some misdirection type plays. There's just a lot of things that I think can be cleaned up that I haven't seen cleaned up and it's been a consistent problem. All right. Heidi Fang joins us, covers the Raiders, of course, with the Las Vegas Review Journal, Raider Nation Radio as well, too. Uh, you know, Heidi, one more thing with, with Carr. You know, Gruden used to tell Carr all the time. He would say, 
run more. And you do not see Carr do that. He would he actually refuses to. So when he had that one scamper for about 20 yards yesterday, I mean, that that was a great sign. But this is something that that he needs to do more. And, you know, if you've got the you know the speed and he's not a, a burner but my gosh he's not Tom Brady either and this is you know a thing that can open things up for the Raiders offense too especially in these plays that break down a little bit and Gruden used to really try to pounce that into him but it seems like he just you know he kind of refuses to do that and wants to do things on his own and this kind of goes into what you were saying here yeah and that's you know a couple times I mean <laughs> I'll be completely honest with you. There were a couple times. No, lie to me, Heidi. Please lie. No, okay. I'll I'll lie to you. There were zero times that I saw the A gap opened up, and I was just thinking to myself why he's staring down all the other reads in that 10 seconds or five seconds. Run down the A gap. Yeah, there you go. It was wide open a couple of times. And I definitely saw it in the second half. Because I remember being right behind it, and I'm looking at him, stare down the receiver, and then go to the next one, go to the next one. And in that time it took him to go through his progressions and look down the read, he could have run down the middle of the field for at least 15 yards. Mm-hmm. And instead they ended up looking, I think, at a third and 10 in that situation. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, what what happened? <laughs> Why? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's the thing is that this game has evolved where you have a Joe Burrow that's doing that. He can run, make plays with his legs. You have Lamar Jackson that's doing that. You have Patrick Mahomes that's doing that. You have Josh Allen that's doing that. I can go down the list. There's a guy that's not doing that yep. as often as I think he could, and that's their car. You got it. All right. So the big question now is what's next for this team in the offseason? I know Carr talks about, you know, hey, he really loved this group, but there's no guarantee that – you know, a lot of these guys are going to go back. So we know that from a personnel standpoint that that happens each and every year. But the biggest question is Rich Passaccia. You heard from him again today. You talked to him. We heard from him after the game on, on Saturday. What is your gut telling you? Or maybe what you're hearing. I know everyone's tight-lipped right now. We know that Mark Davis had a conversation with him after the game, had another conversation with him, I guess, you know, today, and said, hey, we're going to talk again here uh, tomorrow or so. What do you think happens with Rich Passaccia, and where do the Raiders go with coaching search? I honestly don't think that he'll be uh, the guy in that position when 2022 starts as a new season, and I don't think that they can retain him, only because like my colleague Adam Hill brought this up and made a good point, is that now that he's already been the head coach of the team, he'll have much more, many more opportunities open up for him with other places where he can go and start new and fresh. And it's not that, you know, you wouldn't want to stay with the Raiders, but when you start thinking about going back to doing special teams, that can cause an issue for a new coach coming in that wants to set in his own mentality, his mindset, his, you know, positional coaching, et cetera. And you have a guy that's already been the head coach of the team on the team. It's a little awkward. So, you know, just when you're trying to lay down your own foundation with the team, you have a guy of the old regime that it may not be in alignment with what you hope for the team. And a lot of the players might gravitate towards Pisaccia and say, hey, you know, I liked it better and you did this. Or, And that can be something that can be disruptive for a new coach coming in, not by any fault of anybody's own, but just that it might be too much to have in the mix. So that leaves putting out in front, uh, you know, getting – probably somebody new, you know, 
I just can't imagine. Imagine if it's Harbaugh. Let's just use that example. Imagine you see Harbaugh there as the head coach, and then you have Rich Bisacci on special teams, and people are like, this guy is nuts. He's, like, talking crazy. He's throwing stuff around the locker room. I don't know what's going on with this. <laughs> Y'all know about the antics, I'm sure, with uh, Jim Harbaugh, things that we've seen. That he looks like he's losing it. That's uh, an easy fix, and you, you, know, you put Rich, Rich to... right back there. There you go. Okay, been there, done that. Yeah, there here's you. a voice of reason. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. it's just, you know, I think he'll move on, and I think he'll be, for him, in a place where he's going to have a ton of opportunities available. Uh, I just don't see it happening right now with the Raiders. Yeah, and that's tough, too, because the thing is, you know, he wasn't an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. He's a special teams guy, and special team coordinators don't elevate to those other positions. They usually stick with that, and they use that, you know, with uh, – with uh, John Fossil. I mean, he's been a special teams coordinator. If anybody who had the bloodlines of being the son of Jim, he could have you know, been a head coach or whatever. But, I mean, these special team guys, they usually stay in that position. So it's going to be interesting. And Mark Davis could very easily say, you know, hey, you're a Raider for life. I'm going to make sure that you're in this position. But then it's up to the new head coach to embrace that as well, too. So there's a lot of interesting you know, parts to this. And I think we're just going to have to wait and see. Uh, what happens there, but we know that Derek Carr and a lot of the players would love to have him back. But All right, Heidi, we'll let you go. We appreciate uh, you as always, and uh, we'll continue talking with you as uh, the offseason begins here for the Raiders. All right, thank you again for having me on. Appreciate it. No problem, Heidi. All right, so we don't have to do an exit interview with you. You're you're all good. You're you're coming back. Don't worry about no, it. Okay. No. In fact, somebody on Twitter just kind of panicked uh, when I retweeted this. I'm like, wait, will you still be on the morning show? Okay. Yes, I will. <laughs> there you go. Take 10, care. 10 all right. Appreciate you. <laughs> appreciate you, girl. There. She's over at Raider Nation Radio. Check her out there, and also all her stuff at the Las Vegas Review Journal.com. All right, when we come back. Trevor Maddich joins us. Chuck Esposito will join us next hour as well, too. We start talking what our eyes saw for the rest of the Wild Card Weekend. of the world. It's the T.C. Martin Show. It is showtime, baby. Here we go. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Going to be fielded by Lorenzo Neal at the 25. Yeah, Pitches it, it back to check. He throws it across the field to Dyson. He's got something. 30, He's got 40, something. 50, He's got 40, it. 40, He's got it. 20, 10, He's got it. Doctor is now in. Hour number two. Glad to have you with us here on a crazy Monday as we're recapping the NFL Wild Card Weekend. We talked a lot of Raiders in the first segment. TC Martin, the voice slowly but surely recovering from a wild, wild week last week, and of course, in a wild weekend as well too. So appreciate uh, the patience there with everyone uh, for that. But uh, working our way back with that. Appreciate Heidi Fang for joining us. Covering the Raiders, we talked to her in hour number one. This hour, we talk NFL Wild Card Weekend. We look at the other fantastic games. And don't forget, we've got a game tonight. That's right. Monday Night Football <laughs> with a playoff twist. Not a twist, but 
playoff game on a Monday night. Very, very strange, but it should be a good one between the Cardinals and the Rams. We'll preview that for you tonight as well. All right. Trevor Maddis joins us from ESPN. Of course, uh, Trevor not only uh, just covers uh, the college side for ESPN, but a longtime NFL analyst as well, too, and, of course, the former player. Trev, what is going on, my friend? I am doing great, DC. I'm doing great. Thanks, man. All right, thanks. And, uh, you know, aside... Here, by the way, yes. we're sitting here in snow. We got snowed in in Nashville. Wow. That's kind of weird. Normally we don't, but it's quiet and snow everywhere, so... It's uh, it's a whole lot of fun out here. I know you guys. The, the heat in the desert out there is nowhere near where we are now. Wow! Now, so do you enjoy a little snow? Is this a little flashback to Provo for you back uh, about thirty years ago? Yeah, you know, I love it when the the snow just socks everything in. Everything is quiet. It's beautiful. It's silvery and shimmery, and everything stops. Right, and all you can do is just stay home and be warm, and um, you know, be together. It's just it's where all the busyness goes away. I love it when yes. the snow makes the busyness go away. Do you have a fire going right now, Trevor? Do not have a fire. My wife doesn't like the smell of the fireplace, so she has beautiful uh, decorative logs in there. And uh, if the power goes out, she's going to have to reevaluate that. But for now, <laughs> we don't get to have a fire. We just have to have candles. But you know what they say, you know, you, you, the best advice I ever got for marriage, and we've been married for two years now, right? Yep. And so... Uh, the best advice I ever got was, Trevor, you can be right or you can be happy. <laughs> we we have literally a forest in our backyard. We have unlimited free firewood, uh, and it makes no sense that I'd have a fire, but, you know, I'd rather be happy. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Oh, oh, oh there's there's the fire. There's some I, I, I can sense some marshmallows, too. See, Trevor could have marshmallows and the fire going right now. Instead, he's got fake logs, and but he got some festive colors, and... You got some downtime. Why do I picture Trevor with a a cigar with a cardigan sweater on, kicking back in a chair, just looking out his window right now? Why do I why do I see that? I don't know. Yeah, you know, yeah, the cardigan sweater, no, and the cigar, no. But looking out the window, kicking back in the chair. Listen, that's the thing. Whenever I'm on the road, the thing I miss the most is I've got a man chair that is. Awesome. It's a recliner, of course. It is oversized. It is cushy. Oh, wait. It is amazing. Wait, wait, wait. about that. I, the attire. I, I, I'm sorry. I just described Bill Cartwright. I'm sorry. That's what that was. Yeah. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> With his raisin bran, you know, during Cyril Madness. There you go. <laughs> That'll work. Well, we got we got a game to watch tonight, right? Yeah. That big old man chair. So that's going to be a lot of fun. All right, man. I'll we, be in it. We'll get to that in a minute, Trev. I want I want your thoughts on the Raiders and the Bengals as well, too, because I, you know, we talk. You know, obviously, we cover the Raiders here, and we talk to a lot of our cohorts who are correspondents and travel with the team and all that stuff. I want an objective look uh, from you about um, not only this game but this team and this franchise as well, because as you know, it has been. A very turbulent season for this team and franchise, going through the coaching changes and then everything else that, that's happened. Um, first, start with the game, uh, the Bengal game on, on on Saturday, and then we'll we'll proceed. Uh, I thought the the Raiders actually did quite a quite a good job. I think they have a lot to be proud of. You know, they they fell behind early. They they struggled in the red zone a lot, but they forced Cincinnati to struggle in the red zone as well. And then they made a fight at the end. You know, there was a controversial call in the first half where the Bengals scored a touchdown. They fought through that. They were throwing the ball down towards the goal line on the last play of the game, 
And, you know, on the road against one of the hottest offenses in all of football with all of the things that they had to go through this season, all the distractions, and more than distractions, the, the tragedy of Henry Ruggs III and the car crash and all the things that happened associated with the former head coach, John Gruden, the fact that they were able to win four straight to get to that playoff game and then to play as well as they did, have it be a one-score game throwing into the end zone to tie it up or potentially win it at the end. Um, you know, I know they're disappointed. I know Raiders fans are probably disappointed, but uh, I think that they have a lot to be proud of. And then when you look at this, the team on, on what they went through this year and, the, and what Rich Basaccia did as an interim head coach, I mean, Mark Davis has a lot of questions now about, okay, do I, I, I keep this guy? Because I'm sure that in the beginning of the season, nah, it was just a stopgap thing, but you know, as as players start to come to his defense, and he you know wins four games uh, in a row there to, to end the regular season, and they came close, you know, here in the playoffs. Uh, what do you think happens? I mean, again, you know, from a guy that's that covers the National Football League from more of a national perspective here, when you you look at the names that are available here, do you think that Mark Davis is going to go more for um, a known quantity, or does he, you know, maybe say, okay, let's let's continue this train with Basaccia? I think a lot of it will have to do with what the players want. The 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 players, by all accounts, are, are responding well to Coach Basaccia, and certainly. Derek Carr, the quarterback, uh, has said that he that that the team responds to him, that they listen to him, that they've accepted him as their leader, and that's a big deal. Of course, that might be a bit biased because Carr wants to remain a Raider, and he doesn't want to probably have to learn a new offense. And if it's Basaccia, there'll probably be a lot more continuity than if they just blow everything up and bring in a a, a new coach. So you know, so I think there is a chance that they'll that they'll go forward with him. At the same time. Um, I think the the interesting name out there, the, I think the, not the hottest name, but certainly a big one is Jim Harbaugh. I mean, who knows what he's going to do? You get the feeling, though, that if Harbaugh wants to be the Raiders coach, he, he may well be the Raiders coach. I don't know if he does. And, and uh, again, I know what Mr. Davis is thinking about. Uh, but I think that Harbaugh would be one of those guys that could come in and instill what one thing that the Raiders do need, and that is discipline. I mean, they, they weren't always the most disciplined team in the league this year. And so that's not that Coach Pisaccio couldn't do that going forward, but I think it is a tough decision uh, to make. And if they do make the choice to keep the interim coach, uh, I don't think that's the wrong choice because there is a lot to be said for continuity. Probably the, the, the thing that, that has the most likelihood of happening is that Mike Mayock could be gone as general manager as well, too. And there's been a lot of thought with this, with uh, the draft picks have not really you know, came to fruition like they thought, and then everything else that, that is, has transpired, and then we knew Mayock and Gruden were kind of tied at the hip here. And this, you know, I'm, I'm one of the guys that believe that you know, this is going to be a major overhaul here from you know, because Raiders lost their president in Mark Debane, uh, Bedane, I should say, going back to the summer, and then the Gruden stuff situation happened, and then you still got Mike Mayock here. Even though a lot of people say he is a very good uh, evaluator of talent here, but again, had no experience coming into this. Uh, quick thoughts about the Raiders' uh, GM position? Well, if they're going to start over, they might as well start over. And you know, if uh, if they're going to bring in a new GM, then they got to bring him in soon so that he can be the one to bring in the new coach. But here's my thought, and this is, this is one thing I've always wondered about this the last you know, year or so 
in Raiders world. And you can tell me more about this than I know. I know that my understanding anyway is that the Raiders had put together one of the better offensive lines in the NFL. And then they made the conscious decision to just ship them off and blow up that line and start over again. Uh, and uh, and that's a that's a head coach thing and that's a GM thing. And I am wondering, from your standpoint, number one, why in the world do they do that? And number two, did it work? Wow. Well, speaking of what we're just talking about here, Trevor, the Raiders have made a decision. We have relieved Mike Mayock of his duties as general manager of the Las Vegas Raiders. We thank Mike mm. for his contributions over the last three years in helping to form the foundation of the franchise and build upon its future. So as we speak about it here, it happens. Mike Mayock, mm. no longer the general manager of the Las Vegas Raiders. So we knew things were going to be coming. We knew things were going to be happening quickly here. And uh, as we know, and you've been through this situation yourself. I mean, season ends. You're disappointed. You have the exit interviews that go with the players, and then you know the 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 coaches, assistant coaches do their evaluations, and then all the stuff that starts to to unfold here. And uh, we saw it last week with teams that didn't make the playoffs, but uh, we knew that there was going to be changes here with the Raiders, and it looks like they're starting already, and they're going to start at the top, just like we said with uh, yeah, Mike Mayock. Well, and that's that's bad for the team, uh, and it's bad for the coaches, by the way. Because it, and now it makes it much more likely that the new GM is going to want to make a big splash rather than maintain a level of continuity. Because what you think, you know, when you're, when you're a new coach coming into a situation, this is from a standpoint of the players, right? When you're a new coach, you look at the team, and in that first team meeting, you're saying all the right things to the team about coming together and, and restarting and all, all this other stuff, goals and all that good stuff. But what the coach is actually thinking is, you players just got the last guy fired. You're not going to get me fired. And so that coach usually looks to get rid of as many guys as he possibly can to bring in his own guys and start over again, right? Now, in this case, it's a little bit different because the players aren't the ones who got Gruden fired. Either way, a new coach coming in is thinking that way. He's thinking not just who can help me win, but who's more likely to get me fired. And so a guy that's got a relationship with the current coaching staff, they know what he can do. It might not be all that obvious, but they trust him. And so they'd rather keep the guy they trust than bring in somebody that they don't know and trust yet. That goodwill is gone when you bring in a new coach. And it's the same thing when you bring in a new general manager with the coaching staff. You know, it's like, okay, well, you guys have been here, didn't get a whole lot done. I'm going to bring in my guys, and if it's going to fail, it's going to be on my terms. So the coaches now that are on this current staff, including the interim coach, have to prove to whoever the new general manager will be that they are his guy. And that's a hard thing to do. So, you know, I've seen so many times, you know, that just personally when NFL teams uh, have changed coaches or changed general managers, and all of a sudden, goodwill that has been built up is gone, and they tend to want to replace you. So this is going to be a tumultuous uh, start to the offseason. Well, and speaking of gone, I mean, you you look at Mike Mayock's picks here uh, over the last uh, you know three years. I mean, a lot of those guys gone as well, too, including Henry Ruggs III, Damon Arnett, and the the list kind of goes on and on and on. Uh, and some guys that uh, 
that were draft high, high like Alex Leatherwood, who had another had another couple penalties uh, in the game on Saturday as well, too. So a lot of these draft picks uh, did not uh, pan out at all. And you can understand that, uh, you know, general managers aren't going to be around long when your team, you know, underachieves or you have personnel that just, uh, you know, do not live up to the hype or uh, they're committing this off-the-field nonsense like you saw with Ruggs and Arnett. Yeah, but you look at that, though. I mean, and look at the what-ifs here. I mean, if Ruggs had not done that, if if Ruggs had, had just gotten a limo that night, right, with Waller hurt, with other issue, issues going on with the receiving core, if Ruggs had stayed healthy, uh, what might have happened uh, in this season, especially in this playoff game? Because you, you've got a, a hot Cincinnati offense, that the defense did a good job of containing, containing, meaning not allowing them to get over the goal line as much as they're used to. It's, you know, lots of scoring drives, most or many of them field goals. Uh, and the Raiders were in position to do stuff. And if they had rugs in this playoff game, what difference might it have made? Is he worth seven or eight points to them in that game? And I kind of tend to think he probably would have been. So if you just look at the what ifs, and we don't know this, it's speculation, but what if Henry Ruggs had gotten a limo that night? And every night he wants to go out and have something to drink. Every NFL player should be doing that. Limo or, or Uber, period. You know, they should, they should drop their keys in a safe before they decide to take a single drink if they're going out. But aside from the most important thing, which was the human tragedy of that situation, just on the football field, which is secondary to that, what would Ruggs have meant? And if the Raiders had beaten the Bengals in this game because Ruggs had 120 yards receiving and two touchdowns, right, we would be having a completely different conversation right now. So there are a whole lot of what-ifs. They all went against the Raiders, and now the whole thing is, is going south. It's gone south now. Yep. Trevor Madge uh, joins us uh, talking Raiders-Bengals and the news that the Raiders have dismissed general manager Mike Mayock after three seasons with the team. All right, Trevor, let's uh, talk about what our eyes saw over this uh, past weekend. Uh, wild card weekend, uh, favorites go 4-1. and one. We had three blowouts. We saw what Buffalo did to New England, forty-seven to seventeen. Uh, sorry about your under in that game, but uh, <laughs> yeah, me too. What? Hey, hey, hey! Did see the? Here's a here's a thing on that under, right? Was it a good pick at the time I picked it? Well, New England, one of the best defenses in the in the league, coming into a playoff game, Bill Belichick. You would think that they wouldn't completely vaporize. You know, the the in the first half, the Bills had the ball four times, four touchdowns, and then they kept on from there. Now, I'm not saying this like pity poor me. No. I'm just saying that this is where this is where these things are. I mean, you expect things to happen from a matchup perspective, and part of the fun of this game is that it just goes completely like an unmade bed right when you think you've got it squared away. And to your point, I was telling our our group of guys yesterday as we we're. Uh, watching the game and everything, we were talking about our best bets and totals, and this and that. I said, I said, check out the way Trevor broke that down. It made all of the sense in the world. First of all, you got two of the of the top defenses in all the National Football League. You've got cold weather. You've got zero temperatures. You have playoff football, playoff atmosphere. You've got Belichick. You've got Josh Allen, who has not 
uh, been good in the freezing conditions. All stuff that you pointed out made all of the sense in the world. And then, like you said, all of a sudden, boom, four possessions, four touchdowns. What happened to the New England defense? You know, what happened? I mean, it just made no sense whatsoever. And uh, I guess that's one of the reasons why I don't like really prognosticating or handicapping totals. I say, you know what? A head coach or players, they don't give a darn on what the final score is. They're out there just to win the game. Now, I did, you know, like Buffalo in this game and, you know, cuz I thought okay, Buffalo was the right side in this game, but no way on earth that I think 47 to 17 this game would ever happen. So no, you your handicapping was right on, my friend. It was just one of those crazy things that happened. Yeah, and then over the course of a season, or in my case, over the course of, of about five years, it tends to even itself out. But but again, that's where that's where your heart's in your throat, right? It's like what 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 should happen, and then what does happen, and uh, and it's kind of crazy. I mean, you look at another thing: New England, you know, in the first time they played, you know, at Buffalo this year, only threw the ball three times. They just pushed the Buffalo defense all over the field. The second meeting, Buffalo won thirty-three to twenty-one, but New England averaged five and a half yards a carry. Right, and so you would expect the the Patriots to be able to run the ball a bit and to control the ball uh, against Buffalo in this game, and at least run some clock off. And no, uh, they couldn't. They couldn't do a darn thing. Which put the ball in the hands of Mac Jones. But now, what this means is Buffalo. Holy smokes! The Buffalo Chiefs matchup coming up. TC. Yeah. What you talk about fireworks? I mean, I can't wait to see this game. Yeah, and the Chiefs uh, take care of their business uh, like we expected, 41-21 uh, over, the, over the Steelers. And, uh, you know, that was a blowout. But, you know, the two best games, you know, we talked about the Raiders and the Bengals, and the other obviously was the Niners and, and Dallas, and the Niners got the job done there. I mean, really, Trevor, too, though, even though the final score was six points, I don't know about you, but this felt like this game really wasn't as close as the final score indicated here because the Niners jumped out to that 10 nothing lead, 16-3. Uh, to The Niners were in complete control, and now here we go. We're talking about heads rolling and everything. Now you got Jerry Jones talking about, you know, getting questions. Oh, are you going to keep Mike McCarthy? You know, what's going to happen in the future of Dak Prescott? Everything else here. I mean, if you do not win... In Dallas, and don't you know at least get to the NFC Championship game. These questions are, are going to come, and here again, you know, you the Cowboys are, are not sniffing a Super Bowl, and they get blasted in the first round. But this Niner team, as you saw, and I saw, and we both agreed with, you know, that was the right side in this game. We knew that the Niners were going to win this game. Well, they're a bad matchup for everybody. I mean, I think they're a bad matchup for Green Bay, too. But for Dallas, they were especially a bad matchup because the Cowboys put up a lot of offensive numbers and defensive numbers against some pretty weak opponents. But the Cowboys were 1-3 and three against the four best teams that they faced, and, and the 49ers were smack kind of in that in that range of quality that they were 1-3 and three against. The 49ers played the pass, excuse me, played the run of the Cowboys on the way to the pass. So they were getting after the quarterback, and then when they handed the ball off, then they uh, went ahead and dealt with that on the way to the quarterback. Well, they still were able to completely stuff the Cowboys running back. Running game, Ezekiel Elliott averaged two and a half yards per carry. That's it. I think Elliott probably is getting a case of Saquon Barkley-itis where he's got all the potential in the world, but sometimes he doesn't get it on the field for some reason. So it's up to Dak. They threw the ball twice as much as they ran it, the Cowboys did. But Dak Prescott dropped back 43 times, TC. They hit him one out of three times. 
Right. One out, now, that's not a hurry. That's a hit <laughs> on the quarterback one out of three times. So all of a sudden, there was adversity. They couldn't run the ball. Uh, the, the 49ers were pressuring with four, and the Cowboys had no answers, and they only scored 17 points in an offense that statistically was among the league's leaders or the league leader in a lot of important categories. And so now San Francisco takes the same style up to Green Bay, and that's going to be fascinating, especially if Bosa's healthy. You got Trevor Match uh, joins us talking about wild card weekend. Like we said, Trevor, we got one more tonight. We've got Arizona and the Rams. This is uh, part three of the trilogy. Each has one on uh, the other's home field. And uh, But I kind of feel the same way about this game as I did with the Buffalo-New England game. I think we talked about it Friday at the Cosmopolitan, is that you know Buffalo just... After beating New England the way they did, even though it was on the road, you could just see that they seem like the better team. And I feel that same way with the Rams as well, too. That the Rams are going to get the Cardinals tonight because Arizona has dropped four of their last five. They have not been that good since Murray came back from the injury. And plus, like you mentioned, you got no DeAndre Hopkins. This really seems like advantage Rams here, and they're going to get this thing right in front of their home crowd. Yeah, I agree with you. And then you look at the matchups, right? Uh, I think one of the most important matchups is going to be against the Rams and how will they deal with it. And that's the injuries in their secondary, especially in safety. And that, that's going to be a problem. I mean, they had to sign guys off the street, essentially, to come in and take the place of, of guys that were out. And the Cardinals are going to try to attack that spot. But they've got, they've got two problems with that. One of the problems is that the Rams are going to get after them. I mean, get after them from a pass rush standpoint. And they haven't protected Kyler Murray as well as they should have. So I think that, that Murray's going to have a real problem. I mean, um, and so I don't know that he'll have the time to find guys over the middle to do as much damage as the injuries in the Rams secondary should allow. Plus, with DeAndre Hopkins, his best receiver out, all of a sudden now the matchup in the secondary for the Rams changes a bit because Jalen Ramsey, one of the best corners in the NFL, can go lock somebody down then they'll be able to, to double-team the tight end or bracket the other receiver, the second receiver, that's, which is now the third receiver, and they'll be able to do things because Hopkins is not in there to eat up the coverage of Ramsey. And so there's a domino effect when it comes to coverage. But I think that will be negated to a degree by the Rams' pass rush because I think they will get after Kyler Murray. And then, you know, we talked about before, there's a, a real question about Matt Stafford. And, and I – I believe that Matthew Stafford, quarterback for the Rams, will have a terrific game in this game. He's got the experience. He's got the talent. He's got the skill people to deliver the ball to. He's got the running game. But on top of all that, he's got enough perspective of history to understand that his legacy uh, may be defined by this game, certainly by this run in the playoffs. Because if he's been horrible in the, you know, at, at Detroit in terms of wins and losses against good teams, but it hasn't been his fault. It's been horrible teams. He's, excuse me. He's had horrible teams to play around him for the most part. It hasn't been complete for the most part. Now he comes to a team that's much more complete, that's better than the team they're facing, like you mentioned, TC, the Cardinals. And I think he understands that he is more likely to lose this game than he is to win it. When he throws interception and he's thrown a bunch, then he, the team tends to really struggle, if not lose outright. He's got 17 interceptions this year. When he's not throwing interceptions, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And he has shown that he can get the ball to one elite receiver, right? 
And he's, you know, he's throwing the ball to Megatron, Calvin Johnson in Detroit. Nobody could stop him. Well, when you talk about Cooper Cup with the Rams, nobody's been able to stop him either. And he's got now, though, Stafford does, much more in terms of options to throw to beyond that one elite receiver. You put all this stuff together, and I think Stafford will come into this game with the, the perspective that his, he will look good if he enables his stars, and he will look bad if he tries to be the star. And that's why I think that ultimately it will come down to which Matthew Stafford shows up. You know, a lot of um, people on the Arizona side are making a big deal that J.J. Watt is coming back to play tonight. We know that he's been out nah, for a long, a long time. <laughs> you know, again, for a guy who's been in this situation yourself, how tough is this? to come in off of an injury like this and actually expect to be a difference maker? The problem is conditioning. Because, I mean, you can do all the treadmill running you, you want. You can run hills all you want. Football conditioning is a completely different animal, and the only way to really get it is playing games. I mean, you don't even, even in training camp, it's hard to become fully football conditioned. You know, when you get into the first game or two, you kind of put the, the fine edge on your football conditioning, and that's heading into the season. So J.J. Watt being out as long as he has been, I mean, if, if I'm the Rams, if I'm worried about him at all, I just run out of him every play, and I don't substitute um, so that they can't substitute. And I wear him out early and get him out of there. Uh, but I just, I just would be surprised if he actually is as big a factor as Arizona fans hope he will be. And if I'm the Rams, I don't worry about him until he forces me to worry about him. In other words, I don't put somebody over there to chip. I don't set up double teams just in case he's super awesome. I don't do any of that until he forces us to do it. I would assume that he's a conditioning liability until proven otherwise. Final thing for you, Trev. Uh, Who impressed you the most, whether it was a a player or – uh, team over the wild card weekend? You know, well, the 49ers as a team impressed me the most just because of the way they came out in that first drive and, and just ran the ball straight down Dallas's throat. I mean, I don't know how many passes they had on that first drive, but I know it was, it was seven plays, 75 yards, and they just, just, and they didn't run the ball left, right, wide, left, wide, right. They ran the ball up the middle over and over and over again. To me, that was just, just an impressive statement. And then from a standpoint of, of individual, let's go back to the hometown guy, Darren Waller. You know, he's coming off of an injury. He's really been struggling. The guy had seven catches for 76 yards against the Bengals. And, and truth be told, I thought on that last interception that Carr threw over the middle to Zay Jones, you had Waller on a wheel route. He started lined up at, at right tight end, and he kind of blocked a little bit. Then ran a wheel route out towards the end zone, and he looked like he was really hurting because he wasn't running fast. But the thing is, they didn't cover him, and there was good protection. And I thought if Carr had waited just a tad longer, he might have had a chance to throw that ball up and let Waller go up with his six six size and try to catch that ball if they did recover on the coverage. But he looked like he was hurt. And the fact that he came back and balled out in that playoff game as well as he did, I think you've got to have a lot of respect for him. You got it. All right, he is Trevor Maddich. We appreciate you, my friend, and uh, congrats on the uh, on the best bets, and uh, we'll see what we got next week. I appreciate it. Thanks, DC. All right, thank you very much. There is Trevor Maddich. Uh, joins us, of course, each and every week, uh, college football, the NFL as well, and uh, we'll continue to uh, talk to him this week, and we'll start previewing the uh, divisional round, which are coming up. The Packers, the Titans, both have buys. They both have the Saturday games, so look forward uh, to that.
And then uh, we do got one more game tonight with Arizona and the Rams. We will preview that with our good friend Chuck Esposito over at Red Rock next. Turn your head and cough. Here's the doctor, T.C. Martin. All right, busy day, of course, which we knew it was going to be here today. Recapping the Raiders-Bengals game. What's next for the Raiders and uh, the news that we uh, just talked about in the last segment. The uh, Raiders relieve Mike Mayock of his duties. So the uh, Raiders general manager for the past three seasons uh, is no more. And uh, so the uh, the search begins for a new general manager. So it's probably buy Mark Davis some time because, as we know, most organizations will hire a general manager before they hire a coach. Um, ex- fully expect Rich Passaccia to uh, not be the Raiders head coach, but especially now with the general manager, uh, it'll all start uh, from fresh here. And, and again, we know that, um, that Rich Passaccia said that you know he had talked to Mark Davis yesterday, and Passaccia uh, said that Mark Davis said, continue to go about your job. Uh, they will have another conversation tomorrow. So obviously, uh, you know, Mark made the move today with relieving Mike Mayock of his duties and something that we expected and we have talked about before, especially after everything that would happen with John Gruden. They were tied at the hip. And uh, this uh, organization will now go in a totally different direction. This is this begins a major overhaul. And when that happens, you're going to see, you know, coordinators, you know, be let go. And, you know, a lot of people are thinking, well, maybe Rich Basaccia did enough to keep his job. Possibly. But again, being a special teams coordinator, you usually do not see a special teams coordinator, you know, go on to to be an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator. Once you're a special teams coordinator, that, that's kind of your thing. He was thrown into the head coaching duty, the interim head coach duty, because he was the guy that made sense for them to guide them through the rest of the season. He did it. Uh, a fine job of writing the ship and getting these guys to play hard. Again, you know, he gives all the credit to the position coaches and the players themselves, and uh, the players love to play for him. We understand that totally. But now when you've gone in a different direction of getting rid of your general manager, that is probably the telltale sign that now you're going to a different direction with uh, a head coach as well, too. So we know Mark Davis does like high-profile names, high-profile guys. We've seen that in the past with the Raiders. We've seen it with the Las Vegas Aces. Uh, Time will tell uh, what transpires. But the news coming down within the hour that Mike Mayock is no longer the general manager of the Raiders. We'll continue to monitor this story. All right, we continue talking about Wild Card Weekend. we got one more game tonight. Chuck Esposito joins us over at Red Rock. What's going on, my man? It's all good, TC. It's always uh, good to jump on with you and, and talk a little football. I mean, I was listening to what you just said and, you know, understand everything um, as far as the position goes with the Raiders and, and uh, you know, understand that uh, they may make more changes. I know that, you know, listening to, to Carr and a number of the, the guys on the team, they, they seem to really like Rich uh, Basaccia a lot. And I will tell you that one of the most successful head coaches in the NFL um, was a special teams coach, and that's John Harbaugh who was a special teams coach before he got the, the head coaching gig with the Ravens. He's one of the most respected and top coaches in the league, and he did win a Super Bowl there. So they're a, you know, one of the best teams year in and year out, and they've got a great organization. So, I mean, special team coaches from time to time uh, do, do have success uh, at the next level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. And I and I used uh, you know I've used the 
example of um, John Fossil uh, before too. And again, you know, he comes from the lineage. He's Jim Fossil's, you know, uh, son. And uh, I know a lot of people thought, okay, well, you know, you know John will be this thing because he's got a great mindset. And especially with the Fossil name, you would think, okay, this guy could be on the on the path to being a head coach someday. But it just seems like he's always been in that special teams coordinator position, even though he's definitely more than capable of of doing you know an offensive coordinator like his like his uh, father did, and maybe even being a head coach as well too. But if you go through the list, I guess my point, Chuck, is that when you see the special teams guys for the most part uh they they stick in that role more so than it, probably any any other position coach where some of the you know defense coordinator eventually will get a shot at a head coach or an offense coordinator will eventually get a position as a head coach but yeah so you know in rich Passaccia, you know like you know he he'll admit it i mean he said it before he goes hey i you know never anticipated this never thought this you know, but hey, I, I'm more than willing to give it a shot, do the job, and I'll do whatever Mr. Davis asked me to do. And he did do a fantastic job. And and here's the thing about about Rich Basaccia that I I loved. This guy just he handled the media very well as well too. Sure, he didn't come up with a whole bunch of witty one liners and everything, but for guys to get thrown into this situation, especially under the circumstances the Raiders had, and said, "Oh, by the way, you're going to be our head coach." Um, you know, go have a meeting with your team here in the next half hour. Oh, you're going to meet the media in, in in an hour and a half. And this guy handled himself very very well. And I can tell you, I mean, I've been through so many. You know, teams and press conferences where this guy handled those press conferences a lot better than I'd say a good percentage of of, of head coaches have been in the league a long time with the media. Yeah, I think he did a great job, TC. I think he really kind of in, in lieu of the uh, the resignation by Gruden, uh, some of the off field distractions that you know they were six and seven. Um, he was able to kind of rally the troops, circle the wagon. Get these guys to play well. They all like seem to like him. I think he did a great job. I mean, this was a Raider team that you know played in some of the most exciting games of the season. I know he, he wasn't there game one when they they won that Monday night game against the Ravens in overtime, but he was most certainly there the last regular season of the game year on that Sunday night against the Chargers, which you can make a case was probably the best game of the year. Um, so I think a lot um, it goes far when you know players kind of rally around you and and say how much they liked playing for you and understood that, you know, Davis might want to make a splash, and that, that always is a possibility. Um, but I think Passace did an awesome job as coach of the Raiders. Chuck Esposito joins us over at uh, Red Rock. And, uh, Chuck, tell us, talk about uh, what we saw over the course of the weekend. We do got one more game tonight. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But uh, what was the atmosphere like uh, this weekend? Because we know playoff football, what that brings to the sports book. Everyone's amped up. Everyone's excited. And I can only imagine what it was uh, like going back uh, Saturday and Sunday and, and what we're going to get tonight as well, too, in the book. It was crazy. I, I think on Saturday, um, when that Raider game kicked TC, it was one of the largest crowds um, that I've seen in the racing sports book. The atmosphere was crazy. They were loud. There was a ton of Raider jerseys on in the book. And, you know, uh, Bengals kind of got off that early lead. Our chart, Raiders made a run at the end of the game. We, everybody thought they probably would come back again, and, and it was exciting. I think, you know, I love the format, too. I've said it many times, you know, yay sportsbooks. We had three primetime games, uh, Saturday night, Sunday night, and it concludes tonight in the NFC with the Cardinals-Rams. Anytime you have isolated primetime games, 
it's always a great thing for us. I know the networks love it. I think the betters do as well. Um, but you've seen just a great handle. Um, favorites are four, four, and, uh, four and one. Right. So for the most part, bet, uh, betters have done well. Um, only dog was San Francisco, who did get some love, who did get some love as well. Um, but you know, a lot of action, kind of in carryover liability, uh, dumping more so into the Rams tonight. Uh, but overall, from just an atmosphere hype handle perspective, really, really good weekend. Let's talk about the Raiders game. You know, they were plus six. They didn't get there. But what was the number of tickets that were on the Raiders versus the Bengals on Saturday, Chuck? You know, it was a 58% in favor of the Raiders. Um, so, But there was still a lot of action on both teams. I mean, for, for us, keeping the game under where it looked like it might go over late in that game was kind of paramount. Um, but the betters, you know, the Raiders had been in playoff mode for, for weeks. They had won three straight games after being six and seven. Um, they, uh, they had played so well that uh, they were in playoff mode. So the betters backed them, you know, both from a fan's perspective and from their wallets as well. Um, and as I mentioned, it was a huge Raider contingent, um, you know, in the sportsbook here at Red Rock, and I'm sure, uh, you know, at all of our racing sportsbooks throughout the Valley. But really fun atmosphere. Yeah, you mentioned the favorites uh, four and one, and usually when the favorites uh, go like that, it's usually a great day uh, for um, the public. But like you said, it was uh, it, it was a very good day for the book, right? Or a good days for the book. Now, it, it was actually good for the betters. I think you know Sunday or Saturday was was decent. TC with um, was a winning day with the Raiders going down, um, and you kind of had two way action on that Bills Patriots game. Um, but overall, uh, you know the betters did a much did good yesterday with you know two of those big favorites having uh, both Tampa and Kansas City uh, win their games, and as I mentioned, some liability kind of dumping into the Rams tonight. But uh, uh, really good atmosphere, fun to be part of. And, uh, hey, the Niners, you know, they're a team that beat the, the Packers two years ago in the NFC title game handily in San, yeah. in San Francisco. I can't imagine that's a team that, that Green Bay wants to play. But, hey, it's the toughest place to go in the NFL and play, and that's Lambeau. You're getting a Packer team that's playing really well right now. They're getting healthy, and they've had the extra week off for Rodgers. So they're a dangerous opponent to play anywhere, but it is awfully tough to go beat them in say late January in Lambeau Field in Green Bay, where weather might be a might be a factor, and it is one of the it's the latest playoff game of the four this upcoming weekend. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I, I can relate, man. I don't know what Lambeau Field is is like in January, no doubt about it. You know, back to the 49ers and the Cowboys game, Chuck. You know, two very public teams. <laughs> Uh, those are big betting public teams, but there's two schools of thoughts. You know that was going back into that game uh, on Sunday, and that was you know the Niners were the hot team and they were getting some points. But then you know I know that you had Dallas betters that were thinking, hey, we're laying only three with the home team, and you know the Cowboys have this high octane offense as well too. How did the betters approach that game? Yeah, you know, we saw some money on, on the Cowboys as far as the point spread went, but a lot of uh, Niner backers bet them on the money line. Um, you're right. The, it was the highest total of the week. Cowboys are a high-octane offense. They're really good. But this Niner team, I think we talked about all year that if they just got in and they were a better road team than home team, that they would be a team that nobody wanted to face. They run the ball. They've added that element of uh, Debo Samuel uh, as a dual threat. Jimmy Garoppolo over the last six weeks of the season is the number three rated quarterback in the league. Defensively, they're really good. They're coached well. And, uh, you know, the Cowboys just, you know, they had their opportunities in the game, tried to make a late comeback there. But this is a Niner team that's really, really good. 
I don't think anybody wants to face them in the postseason. Yeah, and, and the Niners' strength, obviously, is their physicality, too. And we've talked about that before, where they just, I mean, they punished the Rams, you know, in that second half, and they did the same thing with the Cowboys as well, too. And uh, again, this game really didn't even seem that it was as close as the final score indicated because the Niners were really in firm control, you know, of this game. Then Garoppolo throws the interception. Then you have some drama there, you know, at the end. But uh, at the end, definitely the, the Niners were in firm control. And, you know, I know that you go back to that game and you mentioned, Chuck, with the 49ers and the Packers, where the 49ers just thoroughly dominated the Packers. And the reason why they did, the same type of thing, the physicality. I think the Niners are probably more physical this year than they were two years ago. And you're absolutely correct about what you're thinking about, you know, uh, Lambeau Field and, and the weather and that being a factor. But. Talk about the teams that have the week off here. And Tennessee's going to roll in that same situation. The Packers are going to have the, have the week off. And the Packers have clearly, and you and I have both said this, they look like the best team all season long. They've been a covering machine uh, all season, especially at home. Packers undefeated at home. Um, is is this kind of a bad spot maybe for the Niners, considering, too, that they got a little banged up yesterday and Boza got, got hurt as well, and you're going to be facing a rested Aaron Rodgers in a Packer offense? The Packers are the only undefeated team at home this year at, at 8-0. Um, I think you look at the Niners, and anytime you have to play on the road in the playoffs, it's, it's probably not as ideal, but there's a reason you're here. Uh, they had to win Week 18 on the road against the Rams in L.A., which they did. They had to win yesterday on the road in Dallas, which they did. Um, they did beat them, as I mentioned, two years ago in San Francisco. Much different to play in Lambeau. But, hey, you play the teams that are in front of you. Packers are hot. It's a tough place to play. But I don't anticipate the, the Niners backing down in this game at all. I'm anxious to see what the number kind of does. Um, I think when you look at these teams, and there's only two teams this year, where in the past you've had four teams – they do bet the teams that have had to buy. I think there's something to be said for teams that are that are you know have that extra week off against teams that are playing you know and had to win maybe two or three or four games just to get into the postseason or have a number of games on the road. So does that favor Tennessee and and Green Bay? I think it absolutely does. But when you look at the the four games left on the board, um, none of them are you know a touchdown favorite. They're all below that. So it is very very you know competitive matchups with these teams. Um, Titans, you know, if Henry's back, how effective could he be? Bengals have a, you know, a great offense, defense, a little bit suspect. Niners and Packers, we know kind of the history of those two teams. Bills and Chiefs, for me, though, the way that Josh Allen played and the way Mahomes played yesterday, God, that is going to be a fun game to watch with these two teams. They are both exciting to watch. And then, of course, you have the defending champs. Um, playing at home on, on Sunday afternoon against whoever wins tonight's game. So I think all four games are really intriguing next weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, again, we'll round it out uh, tonight to see what happens with the Rams and the Cardinals uh, taking on uh, the Buccaneers. You know, Chuck, uh, going back to Tennessee, I mean, they, they seem like a very unlikely number one seed here. And they're playing this Bengals team who we saw, you know, uh, defeat the Raiders here. Um, what, do we, what is your take about uh, Tennessee? And even if, you know, Derrick Henry is able to play, we haven't seen this guy for six-plus weeks. And, you know, it's always tough 
when you're you're trying to get into the fold here uh, from a conditioning standpoint, and uh, we had talked to Trevor Manich last hour about J.J. Watt in that situation where, hey, cannot see him being very effective tonight because it is so tough to just throw yourself back in after you've been resting for such a long period of time and then come in here uh, into, into a playoff game here. What are your thoughts about the Titans? I think you look at the Titans and, you know, I, I guess, you look at them and say, are they really a number one seed? But you have to remember that this team on successive weeks this year was able to beat the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Rams. That Ram game was on the road the week that Derrick Henry got hurt before that. They beat the Colts twice. Um, they're a physical team. I think you know they, they kind of embody what Vrabel is. Um, they're, I think they're a scary good team that, you know, when, when they can run the ball and if Julio Jones is healthy – and A.J. Brown is healthy, which they both look to be. I think the extra time off really helped that team. That's when Tannehill is at his best. So, like him or not, uh, there's a reason they're the number one seed. I think they're better than what people give them credit for. And, you know, again, that bye week, I think, for the Titans is huge because of the injuries they had. And this will be two weeks now that Henry was able to practice. He practiced starting the week before last, so you saw footage of him. Uh, they could have played him in Week 18 if they wanted to. They felt they could win that game and get the bye without him to get him a little bit more rest. But I think the Titans are really, really good, and you know they've beaten some. They've beaten the best teams that were in front of them all year long. Granted, they've had some games that weren't so great against some of the lesser teams, but you can almost say that about everybody left in the postseason. Yeah, and you you just you hit the nail on the head too because they lost to the Steelers. They lost to uh, the Texans, and this, this they had some inexcusable losses there too, and then they got blasted by the Patriots. But again, we saw how well the Patriots, uh, you know, played at times this year, especially at home, and that's uh, they beat the Titans thirty-six to thirteen up and up in Foxborough. So yeah, we will see what happens here. And the Bengals, you give them much of a shot, especially now with you know that Burrow to Chase uh, combo has been uh, phenomenal. We've talked about it before, and that was on full display Saturday against the Raiders. I think you give all the teams a shot that are left, Team C. Um, the Cincinnati teams played really well um, down the stretch. That offense is as good as anybody in football. I mean, you watch the relationship that Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase has, and you add Higgins and Boyd in the mix and, and Mixon. They can score with anybody. Um, they're not a team I don't think anybody wants to play right now. So, um, although, I, you know, I like the Titans coming off the rest and getting their guys an opportunity to get healthy, and it wouldn't surprise me. Excuse me to see this number tick up a bit. Um, I think the Bengals are definitely a live dog in that in this game because of the strength of that offense and the confidence that jo- that Joe Burrow is playing with with Chase Higgins and Boyd. Mm-hmm. Bills and Chiefs, like you said, that's going to be a fantastic matchup. Chiefs open at two and a half, and uh, we we know what this game uh, means. I mean. It's uh, you got two teams that can play in the cold weather. You got two fantastic quarterbacks, and uh, the Chiefs' defense. We always talk about the Bills' defense, but this Chiefs' defense has really been kind of uh, the, the thing that's turned this around for this team in the second half of the season. Do you see good two-way action coming in uh, all week at the window, Chuck, for both these teams? I do, TC. I, I think you know it's, it's taking nothing away from the Bengals or Titans, but. This easily, I think, you know, had it been the AFC title game, you would have seen a, a, a huge handle on this game because of the popularity of these two teams and, and these two quarterbacks. They played earlier in the season. Um, Bills were able to win that game. Um, Bills have kind of been a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde team at times this year. Um, you know, we're, we're their perceived number one seed, 
kind of in the AFC when the season started. Chiefs weren't even a playoff team after four weeks of the season. Uh, Bills kind of had a little bit of a, a speed bump. They, they bounced back. I love both these two teams. Offensively, they are fun to watch. These two teams can definitely put some points on the board, and this is by far the highest total that you're going to see um, overall this weekend. All right, like we said, we got one more tonight. We've got the Rams hosting the Cardinals. Chuck, where's this money coming in on here uh, as we get to kick off here in about an hour and a half? You know, it's come down a little bit, TC, over the last several days from where it was. It's dropped either a, a half a point or a point industry-wide. These two teams, you know, play twice during the season, division foes. Um, ticket count does favor the Cardinals about 58% or the Rams, excuse me, about 58% in favor of the Rams, about 72% leaning toward the over. Uh, Cards were able to win in L.A. 37 to 20, but they lost at home 30 to 23. So both teams teams lost in their home field. Both totals went over. I guess you can suspect some uh, expect some points in this game. Watt is back, but I think the big key for the Cardinals is they haven't had Hopkins. They're not having Hopkins for you know a number of weeks. That offense has just played so differently. On the other side, Stafford has turned the ball over a ton over the last month of the season. So I think it's going to come down to the two quarterbacks and who doesn't make that costly mistake tonight. And again, from my side of it, it's Yay Sportsbooks. I'm excited that we have a primetime game and Monday Night Football goes on uh, with the wild card round. We never want it to end. We love the Monday Night Football. I mean, we got never. The, we got the national championship game last week, and uh, you know, on the college side, and hey, we get one more this week and a, and a good matchup as well too. And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, tonight's game, no doubt about it. And uh, we'll see how this thing plays out. The Cardinals have lost four of their last five. Really, have not been the same uh, team uh, since Kyler Murray returned from injury and. Uh, like you said, Hopkins not being there has really been a, a detriment. And I think, you know, Rams fans are thinking, okay, this is the year that they can finally put the, put this thing together. But like you said, we'll see what happens with Stafford. It's going to be on his shoulders tonight, and we'll see if that Rams defense can uh, step up to the challenge uh, because they've got plenty of solid personnel there. Can they get the job done? All right, uh, great place to go watch the game tonight, of course. Is it uh, Red Rock or any of the Station Casino properties? Uh, go ahead and uh, plug away, Chuck, because uh, love the promotions and everything you guys got going over there, and use the STN mobile app as well, too. Yeah, it's a great time to get signed up for STN Sports. I mean, you got the pro football playoff games going on, college hoops, hockey, the NBA, so many cool things. I mean, we love it when the guests come out and experience everything we have to offer at all of our properties. But get signed up if you're a, a new guest out here, get signed up for STN Sports. It's really does bring the sports book to you, up to $100 bonus, $50 deposit, get you that cool STN cap. Uh, so come on out, enjoy, you know, at all of our racing sports books. We've got kiosks that you can make uh, mobile deposits at or wager. Skip the line when we're busy at our Wildfire Gaming properties, um, all the Big Six and the El Cortez. We just opened our new sports book at Wildfire Lake Mead. Uh, go check it out. They've got a lot of cool promotions uh, going on there as well. Uh, so get signed up, guys. Love to see you in the book, but great time to get SDN Sports. Appreciate you, Chuck. Take care, my friend. We'll talk to you uh, next week. All right, buddy. Sounds good, man. Take care, TC. Appreciate you. There it is. Chuck Esposito over at Sunset Station. All right, been a busy day. Appreciate everyone for joining us. Again, the breaking news uh, today, Mike Mayock. No longer the general manager of the Las Vegas Raiders. Mark Davis uh, makes that announcement going back an hour ago. So uh, Mayock out. What is next for the Raiders? We'll continue to monitor this situation. That means uh, you know the, um, the building begins. Uh, the rebuilding begins for this front office. 
expect a new head coach, new coaches, and of course it'll start with a new general manager as Mike Mayock relieved of his duties after three seasons with the Raiders. I appreciate Trevor Maddich for joining us today, Heidi Fang as well, covering the Raiders for the RJ, as well as Raider Nation Radio, and our good friend over at Red Rock, Chuck Esposito. All right, enjoy the game tonight. We're back at it again tomorrow. If you miss any part of the show, you know, go to the website at tcmartinshow.com. Check out all of our interviews, the blogs, our Raider recap uh, from their loss on Saturday against Cincinnati. That and a whole lot more always up on the website at tcmartinshow.com. Have yourself a good one for Numchuck, TC. Hopefully the voice is a little bit better tomorrow. Get a little bit more rest. Appreciate everyone's uh, thoughts and patience uh, regarding that. And we will reconvene tomorrow at 2. 